How's it going, guys? And welcome back to She Talk Sports. My name's Emma, and I'm your host. And before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone that liked, commented, shared, and reached out to me about the first episode, which came out two weeks ago. It was, you know, the reception has been absolutely amazing, and the support has been out of this world. You know, I, I can't put into words how, how amazing it's been. You know, I've just been so grateful for everyone reaching out with the kind words and all of the advice and, and criticism, and it's it's been absolutely amazing. Uh, and if anything, it's just made me more excited to put out more episodes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I could not have done it without the sport. You know, I was so nervous putting myself out there and putting my opinions out on the internet for everyone to see. So it's just, it was been absolutely amazing and it couldn't have been possible without everyone's support. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A million times. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it and continue supporting, you know, follow, um, the podcast on Instagram at she talks sports podcast. It'll be in the description. Um, of the YouTubers in which if you're watching, it'll be in the description there. And it's also on Spotify and Apple Music. It finally got verified. So that's super exciting. So yeah, you can listen to the show there. And yeah, just massive thank you. Again, I really, really, really appreciate it. It, I'm just so excited. And I, and I just literally, like my heart is so full. So thank you so, so, so much. I really, really appreciate it. But enough of the soft stuff. We are here today, as you can tell by the title of this video, to talk about why Liverpool Football Club is the best football club on the planet at this moment. You know, I dressed for the occasion, like I wore my kit, like I'm ready. I am ready for this episode. This is one that I have been planning for so long and I'm so excited to talk about this, you know, as yeah, as a Liverpool supporter and just as a soccer fan in general, you know, a lot of people are going to think this is really biased, but I think I'm a pretty humble fan for the most part. You know, I can really separate, you know, my opinions as a fan and, you know, just my opinions as a as a soccer fan in general, you know, I just I think a lot of people get stuck uh, with their fandom coming first versus their opinions. You know, I'm the first one to say that this team or this club or something is better than my club. You know, for for years, my social media bias have been long-suffering Liverpool fan because it it has not been easy. It has not been an easy run. Let me tell you that. I'll be the first to say it. But, you know, I think the club's really in a good spot right now. And, well, I mean the best spot because number one in the world. So, yeah. So, I am going to be breaking down different kind of elements of why I have this very strong opinion. Um, and I'm just kind of going to give some general overview and explain a lot of things, assuming that not everyone is an avid follower, uh, such as myself. So yeah, let's start, um, with the Premier League in general, you know, this is the top football league in the English system. It was officially, um, created in 1992. It features 20 clubs and, uh, it uses a promotion and relegation system, uh, in and out of the championship, which is the league below, uh, the premier league. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's the most competitive in the world. You know, some of these, these bottom, um, tier teams, they have as much, if not more to fight for than these top few teams that are the fighting for the title. So it makes it really, really exciting and really competitive. So it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch for sure. And I definitely recommend that people watch that just because there's that whole element of, of relegation. So it's awesome. But we, again, not here to talk about that. <laughs> We're here to talk about Liverpool. And I, like I said, I'm going to be breaking this down into different parts. So the first one I want to talk about is the squad and specifically the depth and versatility. Uh, you know, this, this past summer for the transfer window, we just made minimal investments. You know, we, again, the only notable one I would really say is Adrian. He is a goalkeeper that really had to step up, you know, almost as soon as we signed him, Alisson, who is our regular goalkeeper, um, 
he got injured. So Adrian had to step up right away. And I think he, I, he really did impress me. I was really, really happy to see, you know, obviously it took a, a few, a few matches I'd say for him to really get into the groove, you know, fit into the style and just become more confident to be competing at the level that we play at. But yeah, overall really impressive. I think he's a really solid substitute for Ali Son, but yeah, again, besides him, minimal investments over the summer. It really just goes to show that, you know, Jurgen Klopp, who is the manager of the club, is really just believing in the development of the players, which I think it should be that way. You know, a lot of these these clubs just choose to use uh, money to buy temporary uh, temporary fixes for problems. And I just, I don't know, I don't really believe in that. You know, I did at the time when Liverpool was struggling. But yeah, so that's kind of how our summer went. But into the back line, um, it's it's a really strong four. Klopp plays a, a four three three. So the back line, right now, I'd say his go to back line is Andy Robertson, uh, Alexander Arnold, Van Dyke, and Matip with Alisson in goal. You know those four are really really strong with Van Dyke, Matip in the middle. Both really big physical guys, great leaders. And then on the wings we have Robertson and Alexander Arnold, two really young, fast kind of playmakers. They love to get up the wings. They love to create. They love to get those assists, those crosses in and. Alexander Arnold's amazing on set pieces. He's thrown in corners from both sides, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a really strong back line and I think those that's something I kind of unheard of, you know, over the times of I'd say like the Triple S, Suarez, Sterling, uh Sturridge that was when we really struggled at the back. You know, we were beating opponents simply because we could outscore them. So, yeah, it's it was an absolutely terrible time for our back four. We had no consistency. It was we just had so many gaps and it was just terrible to watch as a supporter. All I wanted was us to buy a temporary fix to the problem. It was terrible. So for us to have a really, really strong back four, it's just, it's, it feels like we don't deserve it almost. Cause I'm just so used to being so, so weak at the back, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're so strong. They're a really cohesive unit and yeah, they're pretty solid. But in terms of if uh, one of those four, are unavailable. You know, you could throw in anyone from Lovren. He's a big guy. Uh, Joe Gomez can get back in there. Milner, Fabinho, if need be. And like I said, Adrian's a great backup keeper for Ali Song. But overall, back four, insanely solid. Great. It's a great group. And like I said, really versatile. So, And then we have our midfield. The midfield is extremely, it's an extremely competitive line. You know, this is where we see the most changes uh, for the starting eleven. Um, again, it's, uh, four, three, three. So the three in the middle that look like Klopp's go to right now are looking a lot like Fabinho, Hendo or Henderson, um, and Wijnaldum, those three pretty solid, you know, interchangeably. I mean, Lalana had a lot of injury, uh, in the past, so he's getting a few minutes here and there. Um, Nabi Keita, uh, Alexander Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think those two could really provide that spark of creativity that's sometimes lacking in those, in the midfield for us. You know, if they're coming on the like 70th minute, I think they could really bring that energy level up. And especially, you know, Ox, I think it was just this past week. He, um, he really impressed in the Champions League. He scored a brace and he had a really sick one time outside of the boot stunner, top of the box, right into the top left corner. It was Oh, a work of beauty. But yeah, I think those, those two could definitely bring some of that higher energy. You know, sometimes when you get kind of like lacking in that kind of stalemate period of around like the 60th minute. So yeah, those two are definitely options. And, you know, we could always throw Milner in there, of course. And it's just a really a lot of options. And the other one I'm thinking, 
I had a lot. Of, okay, so I was really excited when we signed Shakiri just because I I've been seeing him as a player and uh, his name was popping up a lot and you know I was I was excited. I I liked how he was di- he was different. Um, but to be honest, it could I think he's been a little bit underwhelming and it could just be because of his lack of minutes. But he just seems like he's not really fitting into the play style and because of his lack of minutes, I just feel like that you know he's. I doubt he's going to last very long for the club because of that. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't blame him, but, you know, I think Klopp plays a very distinct style, and if you don't fit into it, you don't fit into it. And it's obviously got to be discouraging, but at the end of the day, you know, it's it's not his fault. It's not his style. So, But, yeah, in general, midfield's pretty solid. Like I said, there's a lot of changes that could happen, but it's looking pretty strong right now if we were to keep the three at Fabinho, Hendo, and Wijnaldum. But if need be, we definitely have some great alternatives that could bring some creativity, some pace, some energy if we need to. So, All right, now to the line that everyone in the world knows, our attacking line. This is a pretty fixed trio. You know, it... If you don't know this front line, like, oh man, they, they, I'm pretty sure right now they have like 20 goals amongst the three of them and the season's basically just started. It's, it's something crazy like that, but yeah, I mean, they have an amazing dynamic. You know, Mane has incredible pace. Salah, you know, unfortunately going through a bit of a drought, um, compared to what we're used to, which is really hurting my fantasy team because he's my captain, but you know, it's. It's all right, still in first place in the fantasy league, you know. Anyone from the fantasy league is watching this, you know. Sorry, guys, first place can't hear you uh, from top of the table. But, yeah, I think Salah's getting a, a lot of criticism right now, you know. We've even had a couple players coming out saying he needs to pass more, which I don't disagree with, but I'm also just like, he's so good on the ball. But, yeah, there have definitely been times where I'm like, mm, Salah, just pass the ball, he's right there. But yeah, the other one uh, who's making up that final spot in the trio is Firmino. He's got that Brazilian creativity, but at the same time can also spend too much time on the ball. But in general, those three just really, you know, they play together all the time. They've just figured each other out so well. And um, there are some options, I guess, for fillers if need be. The one that comes to mind is Divock Origi. He is comes on frequently as a le- uh, late-minute sub, you know, provides a ton of creativity he's really strong and he's great in the air which kind of makes him versatile for goal scoring which we really need sometimes um you could even say we could even throw Shakiri up there if need be I just like I said don't really think he uh fits well in the style and I just think he has a very different gameplay if he would fill in for someone like Salah and then even Ox could get thrown up there you know he has somewhat similar traits to to Mane's play style but you know, he's just not a true left-sided player, so not exactly a great fit there. Um, and then another one, I'd say Brewster. He is a homegrown 19-year-old, which is pretty exciting, really young. But I think under the right leadership and development that he he really does have the potential to be a star for the club. But, you know, obviously because he's so young, he's not going to provide that, you know, immediate relief if we were to lose someone like Firmino. But, you know, with time, I think that he could be someone we're going to know. So definitely keep an eye out for that name. But just overall, you know, this trio has absolutely perfected their dynamic. You know, they know each other's play styles. They know where the ball is going to be, where the run's got to be. It's at this point, it's nearly impossible for an internal solution, whether it be Akshakiri or whatever, to fill a void if in someone in that trio was absent. It's just they know there's there's no one that can penetrate that. And I think that that is also a really big concern. You know, 
I think relying heavily on that trio. And like I said, if there was someone to be absent, I think that that is a huge concern. I just don't think anyone could beat their, their play style that they're used to, but in general, a really, really, really solid squad. I'm loving the 11 that we're playing. Like I said, there are definitely some alternates being thrown in, in here and there. But yeah, overall, super strong. And, you know, the Ballon d'Or nominations just came out, I think, two weeks ago? A week ago? Two weeks ago? But anyway, there were 30 nominations and seven out of the 30. So that's nearly 25%. Seven out of 30 nominations came from Liverpool. It was Alisson, Van Dyke, Firmino, Salamane, Wijnaldum, and Alexander-Arnold. So seven of the 30 players that are the best players in the world came from this team. Like, that just goes to show the quality of this team is so, so high that literally 25% of the best players in the world that are being nominated for this come from this one team. That's not a coincidence. There, there, there's some sort of correlation going on. Like, you just, it's so obvious. But yeah, anyway... Enough about the team. We're going to go into the manager now. So, obviously, a good manager is really important in a squad. And I loved, I, I, I have loved Jurgen Klopp for a while. Even when he was at Dortmund, which was, I think, from 2008 to 2015, uh, before he came to Liverpool, there was something about this guy that, like, you just love to watch. He was so... Uh, so enthusiastic, so passionate, and uh, he was so, like, physical with his emotions. You could really read him as a person. And, you know, some of these other, like, managers managers you think of, like, think of, like, uh, Arsene Wenger, like, he's just very solemn and, like, would stand on the line, just, like, no emotion, no nothing, pretty quiet kind of guy. And, you know, some managers like that, but Klopp really, really gets into it. He's very passionate. And, you know, I think it shows, you know, he loves his players. He's always hugging them and stuff. And he really, he really cares about them and he cares about his squad. And I think that that, that energy that kind of like is transmitted almost, it's kind of like, uh, this is a really bad science kind of, uh, analogy, but it's like, diffusion almost, you know, if he has really good energy, it kind of like plays off onto, onto his players and, you know, his style of managing a club is much more focused on development, like I said, like not a, a temporary short-term problem fixer, not one of those people that if we have like, if we have a hole in our back line, he's just going to go buy someone for like six, 60 mil or something. Like he's not, he's not like that. So I think he looks more to like long-term development, which is something that I think as a club and over the long term, you would appreciate um, more. So he kind of focused on you know, rather than having like a really big squad, he instead develops players to be more versatile and be able to cover more positions. So, you know, the one that comes to mind is Joe Gomez. Joe Gomez can be thrown in in a few different positions. So instead of having a huge roster, he likes to have a bunch of players that can just fill in here and there and can be kind of all over, which has worked pretty well. So yeah, he likes to keep his team pretty small and unified for the most part. You know, he likes to have that, that flexibility as manager to pick and choose that uh, player that could be fit into either one or another spot. So being able to slide into all those different spots and being versatile is really, really important for him. And, you know, clearly Moreno, Sturridge, Mignolet, they just did not, they didn't fit into the style. And unfortunately that's why I had to leave club. But, you know, I think it's very clear pretty early on whether or not you're going to fit into his style. And it's, it's tough because, you know, some of these were favorites for a while, but you know, it's, it's a new manager. It's a new style. And it's gotta, you gotta fit into your zone. And unfortunately they didn't, but I don't know. It's just his, his pressing tactic is, is very different too. You know, he believes that the second you lose possession of the ball, you just immediately need to attempt to win it back. Um, instead of like 
falling back and, and regrouping. It's, it's a really, really high pressure um, tactic, which is really great for counterpressing, which unfortunately requires high levels of, of discipline and organization, but it's, it's the best for counterattacks, which is where Liverpool is really, really deadly. Um, you know, the speed and ball movement of like Mane, Salah, Firmino, that top three, it's, it's really deadly. And you, we can tell time and time again, that's the counterattack is where Liverpool is so strong, but you know, it's, that's not an easy style to get used to. I think, you know, now that he has players like Van Dyke who can really lead out the back line and, um, you know, Hendo in the middle of the field. And I think that that's where that discipline and organization comes, you know, a second, the second we lose possession, we're right back in it. We know we're not sitting back and that, like I said, takes a lot of discipline, a lot of organization, and you really got to get your players into that, that mindset. So I think it definitely took a while for us to get to this point, you know, right off the bat, we, we, didn't have this level of competition. We didn't have this level of high pressing. So yeah, it took a while, but I think right. The current squad we have right now, I think has mastered that tactic for sure. You know, there's not a lot of ball watching. There's not a lot of sitting back. It's more like, um, like right after we're always just on it, we're always just jumping into it. So yeah, that tactic has been great for the club. And like I said, the counter counter attack is so lethal and so deadly because of that. But yeah, I think Klopp has been a great addition to the club. I think that the fans love him. I mean, it helps that he's winning. But um, yeah, I think I think it's been a really good shift in energy. And like I said, he's he's a really great kind of personality, but at the same time, he's got a really great tactic and style that's just working really well for the club and the group of players he has now. So hopefully, it keeps going well. But it's definitely been a success, particularly for this season. So yeah, super awesome. And just in terms of numbers right now, Liverpool, like, I think as of match day 10, so this, so this is the, if you haven't realized these episodes are recorded ahead of time. So I'm trying to like do some calculations right now. So match week 10 was last week. So yeah, that was a two, one win over Tottenham. Um, yeah. So all my Tottenham uh, Spurs supporters, uh, that was a two, one win. Um, honestly, it was a tough game. I, it was, it was, it was a little tough to watch, but yeah, it was always going to be a two, one anyway, after that two, one win. So after match week 10, Liverpool are six points clear, um, of last season's winners, Manchester city, uh, unbeaten in 27 Premier league matches have lost just one out of the 49 matches. And, you know, just going back to last season, even, you know, Liverpool lost one match, just one match, scored 97 points and still lost the title to Manchester City by one point. So we had 97 points. Manchester City, who ended up winning, had 98 97 points is the highest number of points a second place team has ever finished with within the Premier League in any European top flight. That goes to show we were literally pushing each other back and forth for the entire season to the point where it literally came down to one point. We lost one match the entire season. That was so frustrating as a supporter. When those numbers came out, it's just... I was so heartbroken. I can't even put it into words. Like that it's it blows my mind that we lost one match the entire season and still did not win the league. It's truly truly so frustrating as a fan and as a supporter, but as a soccer fan in general, that title race was easily the most exciting that I have ever witnessed and probably will ever witness in my entire life. It 
every single week mattered every single match mattered like it was oh my god like anxiety was high last season it was oh man just thinking about it that is a season i swear to god i will never forget that's gonna be the one i talk about for years that unfortunately wish it went a different way but yeah just the numbers are insane for liverpool this past this past year even it's just absolutely insane the numbers that the club has has gotten to and you know i understand we haven't we haven't won a title technically whatever since the premier league was formed whatever cool get it but you have to admit as a soccer fan the numbers liverpool were putting up in the past year has been absolutely insane insane like it will never ever happen again the race will never be this close i swear to god it was As you can tell, I get a little passionate about this because this past season literally was so frustrating for me. Anyway, enough about that. We're just going to talk about the league. <laughs> Now, the league in general, I think really, like I said, it's run on that um, promotion relegation system. And it's just much more competitive than the leagues like La Liga, Bundesliga, um, those leagues, which are the Spanish and German leagues. Those are completely dominated by two teams and two teams only. You know, La Liga is dominated by Barca and Real Madrid, who both actually have uh, been struggling in recent form. I think, I mean, Barca has 26 league titles. I think Real's 33. Um, and Bundesliga is run by Bayern and Dortmund. It's just, it's so, it's so, I don't want to say, it's so boring. Like, you know, It's just, it's either going to be like, oh, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Barca this year? Is it going to be Real Madrid? Is it going to be Bayern? Is it going to be Dortmund? It's just going back and forth. And I just think the Premier League just has so many clubs that it could be, it could be the top six, you know, it could be those big six. But then, you know, we had that year when Leicester City won out of nowhere. And it's just, there are so, it's so competitive that really, truly, it, it could be anyone for the most part. It's just, I think that really pushes the teams to be their, like their best. And like I said, like, it forces these clubs that are even in the bottom of the table to really, really fight. And I just, it's just so exciting to watch. It's so competitive. It's, oh, it's the best, it's the best league. It really is. It truly is. It's so fun to watch. But, you know, overall, I just think, I just think the grind and the hunger is more present in this Liverpool team than any club in the world right now. You know, Liverpool are coming off of this past season as the champions of Europe, you know, And they should be champions of the Prem. They really should. Like, you know, I, this team should have won last year and they know it. And I think, you know, second place isn't good enough for the manager. It isn't good enough for the players and it's not good enough for the fans. You know, we do not want to settle for a second place again. And, you know, I think this club has more to play for than, than any other team. And I think that because, because of this idea, you know, that spark, that fire, like that desire to win, that hunger is what's guiding this team through such a successful period right now. You know, we're, the club is playing its best soccer right now. And I think it is because they have the underlying, that underlying hunger. And that could be because it could be because of Klopp and really motivating the, the players. It could just be because the players have felt so close. You know, we could have had back to back. We could have had champions title, like the, the league title. And we could have had t the champions of Europe in the same season. It was just, it seemed too good to be true. And the cl the club has come so close to having that and it's just like it was just batted away it was just I just think that hunger is there and they have this club has it more than anyone else in the world right now everyone's just playing but Liverpool is playing to win and that's just I just think that's what it is I think that's that underlying hunger is why this club is so successful right now and just in 
in terms of the rest of the season, I think, I think, like, again, I think City's really strong. It's really, really unfortunate to say as a Liverpool supporter, but, you know, I think that the competition between the two clubs is, it. City really, truly brings out the best in Liverpool, and, you know, they're, they never allow Liverpool to take a chance to just sit back or take your foot off the gas. And um, even if we do, I think they're going to be sitting waiting to capitalize. You know, we can't drop points because they're going to be there to win those points back and to close the gap. And I think that that's really dangerous. And that's where I get worried because I feel like we've been so set so far. And, you know, I think, I think I've been betting on Liverpool to win the Prem for the past three years with this, one of my friends from, from school, Henry, I'm pretty sure freshman year, I bet like $20 that we were going to win the Prem. We didn't. Then I bet like we doubled down for the next year, became second. Like I'm pretty sure we're probably up to like 60 bucks now, but yeah, it's just, I, uh, I just think it's, it's going to be a, a city and Liverpool show again. It has to be, I just don't think anyone's coming close. You know, the big six, the rest of the clubs just haven't been, they haven't been up to this competition level. And unfortunately it's going to be these two again, which kind of takes away from what I was saying about the premier league being really competitive, but these two are just on another level right now. And, and it's looking like the season's going to come down to the wire again at this, at this rate, if we keep going with what we've been seeing for the past, uh, 10 weeks, it's it's going to be another City-Liverpool battle. So we'll see, but I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling hopeful. Hopefully, I mean, I've been hopeful for, what, past five years and it hasn't happened, but champ, we'll start with Champions of Europe and hopefully uh, we'll shoot for a league title. If we win the league right now, I just want to admit – no one's going to hear the end of it from me. I will literally talk about this for my entire life. If Liverpool win the league this year, no one's going to hear the end of it. Just saying. So just prepare for your, prepare yourself for that. Cause it's going to be, it's going to be rough for sure. But Hey, I've been waiting a long time for this. Trust me. But anyway, that's, I would love to hear what you guys have to say about that opinion. You know, I, like I said, best, there's just so many different aspects. Like I said, depth in the squad, versatility, the manager, the league, the numbers in general. You know, this, this club is so strong. And I'd like to know what people have to say about other clubs that they think that I'm kind of like, or that are competing at this level as well. You know, I just, that's just my opinion. And I think a lot of it comes from, I've been following the club for so long and I've seen the development and growth over time. And a lot of these people who aren't and haven't been following the club as closely as I have won't see that, but that's that's my opinion. Best club in the world right now, currently. Not of all time. I know we're not, like I said, pretty humble. No, that's not true. But yeah, the other thing I actually want to talk about um, besides that is I had a lot of people reaching out to me saying that they want me to talk about VAR. For those of you who don't know, VAR is Video Assistant Referees. This past season was the first season it was implemented into the Premier League. You know, the clubs voted unanimously. Um, in 2018 to introduce the system and basically it is used for like match changing decisions and serious errors that a referee on the pitch may miss so you know that could be a situation like goals penalties um, direct red cards stuff like that Uh, however the final decision is always going to be left to the referee that is on the pitch but this has like I said first season and with anything being implemented in the first season there are going to be some issues for sure. Um it has got a lot of I would say it's been mainly negative feedback for sure. Um it takes a lot of time to make decisions because there's all like the the replays and one hour they're bringing up uh the video reviews and it it kind of ruins the flow of the game that 
you know, fans love and are so used to, you know, we love soccer because it's 45 minutes straight of play. You get a halftime for about 15 minutes and you get another 45 minutes. You know, that's, we are so used to that. That's why we love the sport. You know, it's not like football or basketball, or even hockey where there's so many media timeouts and stuff, you know, it's usually just like 45 break 45. That's it. And you know, this really, it does ruin the flow of the game. I will admit that, but that's one issue for sure that people have been arguing. And the other one is the lack of communication. This is something that we all could have seen coming, honestly, but basically some of these stadiums that these clubs are playing in, they don't have big screens. So it's really difficult for fans to, to understand. Sorry. I just like hiccuped right there. Okay. <laughs> like I said, for stadiums that don't have big screens, it is very difficult for fans to understand what's going on when a decision's being made. Um, many times, it's the reasoning whether the reasoning behind a decision that's being made is really unclear for fans. And you know, there have been times where stadiums even have screens, and the matchgoers are still not being shown graphics. You know, that just happened recently. I think it was Arsenal and Palace at the Emirates Stadium. This happened, and. Uh, I think it was United and Narch, same thing at Carroll Road. You know, these these stadiums have the ability to be playing these graphics so the fans can see what, like, the the referees and um, the VR are seeing. So it's just, it's kind of just leaves fans wondering, you know, what is happening? Why aren't the clubs showing decisions on screen? And um, it could, I think a lot of it, people are thinking, could come down to, you know, they're just afraid that there's going to be a, a negative kind of, response from the crowd but you know at the end of the day a correct decision is a correct decision whether or not you know you it goes in your favor or not that's a correct decision that's the whole point of VAR you know they're trying to reduce the amount of errors and errors are always been natural in soccer but you know if it's evening the playing fields for everyone across the board I guess it kind of makes sense but it comes down to you know the uncertainty of whose responsibility it is to to play the clips you know is it is it the club who's hosting the match or you know some say it's kind of determined by the professional game match officials professional game <laughs> professional game match uh, officials limited which is uh, the refereeing body that oversees VAR usage and controls video feed that is sent to the stadium but you know I just there's a lot of issues that I think need to be addressed. Like I said, it's the first season this has ever happened. You know, they're trying to work out the kinks and whatnot, but it's, I understand the frustration from fans. I do trust me. I've been frustrated too, but it, at the end of the day, VAR is doing something good for the sport. You know, it's like I said, evening the playing field. We're so accustomed in this sport to natural errors that happen because of referees. I was a referee. I made so many calls. Like I was like, that's just not right. We're going to go for it. Cause you know, that's, that's how the game works. And if I had to go watch some of the calls I make, I would just be frustrated because I know it was the wrong call, but it's just making the sport more even across the board for every team, whether, so, you know, so there's no calls going in favor of one or the other. It's just even the playing field. And I understand the frustration with fans just because there's been such a lack of communication and you know, it's just, like I said, it's ruined the flow of the sport. But I think that in order to fix some of these problems and make it a little bit easier, like the transition is, the transition has been terrible. Like it has been, but you know, it could be helpful if fans were able to see, you know, and even hear, you know, the audio between VAR and the on-field referee, just so they can kind of understand what's going on. Um, and yeah, like I said, play the graphics and replays on screen so fans can see exactly what the on-field referee or VAR are looking at. So we all know what we're talking about. So it's pretty clear, you know, it's these, these stadiums, some of them have screens. Why are we not using them? It's just, 
I don't know. I just think that we, they should be playing the clip in real time that the referee is looking at just to keep the clarification there so that fans know what decision, what, what call we're looking at, what the decision is. And just, it's just overall communication that needs to be streamlined. I just think it's the communication has been absolutely atrocious. And I think that's where the frustration lies for the fans for sure. But if they were able to kind of straight, like keep everyone on the same page as possible, I think it would be easier for fans, but just in general, the transition has been absolutely atrocious. It really has been. And trust me, like I said, I'm all for VAR and making great decisions or not great decisions. I'm all for VAR making correct decisions. Um, it's just, they, I feel like they could have gone about it in a different way. And hopefully as, as the season goes on and, um, the future seasons will correct some of these and be able to, like I said, play graphics or even have fans be able to listen to the VAR and on-field referee making the decision. But for now it's, it's tough. It's tough for sure. I see every like every week on Twitter, everyone's going back and forth about how crap VAR is. And trust me, I get it. I have been frustrated too. But and I think it's hard too for the players. The transition's been really, really hard um, to get used to. But you know, at the end of the day, I I think it, it could be it could be really useful, and I think it could be very beneficial once we look past all of the initial transition errors. But yeah, that's my opinion on VAR. Whatever. Please let me know what you think. If you think I'm wrong, completely wrong, or if you agree with me, I I appreciate it. But at the end of the day, we, there's a lot they can fix. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. But overall, great idea, not a great execution, but a lot that we can improve on. And I think a lot of the feedback from fans is going to be important, especially fans in the stadium. I obviously haven't had that experience of a VAR decision in a stadium, but I can only imagine how frustrating it would be if the communication, even over the loudspeaker, isn't very clear, which is, I think, the only communication they're using in some of these stadiums. But anyway, thank you guys so much for watching this second episode of She Talk Sports and a very, uh, a very special one to me as this is my club and whatnot. But I would really appreciate it if you guys reached out and uh, had some opinions of your own. Please fight me. Please fight me if you think I'm wrong. I would love to hear it. You know, I'm so open to hearing what people have to say, especially about uh, soccer opinions, of course, because that's my heart and soul. But yeah, thank you again so much for watching uh, the next episode. Like I said, bi-weekly, so not next week, but the week after, um, you will be getting another episode. So yeah, thank you so much for watching. Follow the podcast on Instagram at She Talks Sports Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the YouTube page and follow the podcast on Apple, Apple Podcasts. I think it's technically Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I really appreciate it. And thank you so much. And I will see you guys in two weeks. Thanks for watching and listening. Okay, bye. <laughs>